Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message.
the lives, the way we see, we, we see God even. You know, I, I worked with a ton of heroin addicts for about a year and a half straight. Every day, that was pretty much my job at the fire department. And, and I never once in that process met a heroin addict who wanted to be one. And I never met a heroin addict who didn't have a story. And we all have a story. We all have an issue. We all have things in our lives and our past and, and these things. And it's easy to judge a book by the cover. It's easy to judge an addict as a taker. It's easy to judge an addict by this or that or these labels that we do and, and all they're never going to change. Let's just laugh at that. Because <laughs> I believe different. I believe different. I, last week, the speaker we had here was a heroin addict in prison at overdose over 20 times. Joel has this incredible story now. So, so I know the truth is that God has a destiny for every person, whether addict or not. The truth is that you're amazing and you were born for destiny. You were born for greatness. You were born for God's great deeds. You were born to exploit Him because He's so full in your life. Those are truths. The truth is that God loves you so much and He makes you so amazing. The lie is that we start to convince ourselves of anything else. So I'm going over this with Evelyn, and I said, you know when you call yourself terrible, it's actually offensive to God. And I'm telling you, I said, listen, when you say that you're horrible and you're not good enough, do you know that's offensive to God? Because you're his masterpiece. You're his creation. You're his beautiful daughter. And he created you so unique and different. And everything and every trait that's inside you is exactly how God wanted you. But I start to talk to her, I said, but when you're not being the girl that God created you to be, and you're saying these negative things, and you're saying these bad things about you or about circumstances, I said, you're living in a stolen identity. I said, you're not living who you're supposed to be. And then when you start to say bad things about yourself, you're actually saying bad things about God's creation, and you're offending Him. Have you ever thought about that? So whether that's yourself or others, all of a sudden you're offending God because that's His creation. You were created in the very image of God. You're created. He, 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 he all of a sudden had this unique plan, and He and the Father and the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Father, and the Son, it says, let us make man our image. So they have this party, and boom, here's Evelyn. Here's Aaron. Here's Brianna. And here's Bruce. And here's, here's Steve. Like, like, here you are. And, and, and then suddenly, if you begin to dislike yourself, or you begin to dislike the, the, the nature or, or, or the very being of who you are, or your color of hair, or your color of skin, suddenly you're being offensive to God because He didn't make a mistake. We serve a God who's never made a mistake. We serve a God who didn't mess up when He created you. And let me just be honest with you, no matter the natural circumstance, we might make mistakes. We might sleep around before marriage, before it was given to us as a gift, right? And there might be babies created out of that. But guess what? God never makes a mistake. I don't care how you were brought into this world. I don't care how that happened. God didn't make a mistake, and you were predestined for such a time as this. Amen. You were created for this time, this moment in time, for this impact in the world for the people around you. Amen. That's a good word. Yeah, Anytime we move outside of that context, all of a sudden, we're partnering with lies. We're partnering with things that aren't true. And let me just remind you that the enemy is the chief deceiver. Amen. He's the chief of deception and lies and division and discord. And all of a sudden, anytime I partake in anything that's not glorifying, edifying God or His creation, all of a sudden I'm partnering with the chief liar. Amen. 
Let me, let me just scripture here. This, this is a scripture that impacted me. And if you were here a couple years ago, you'll remember the scripture read in a similar context. It was, it was when I, I couldn't save a baby in a fire. And, and that, if you go back deep enough, you'll, you'll see that on our video and our podcast. So I'm not going to reference a lot of it. But I'm sitting in my office the day I was supposed to preach after the, 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 the worst week I'd ever had in my entire life. A baby dies. I recover the baby. I have, to, I have to watch videos of the baby. I can't stop having nightmares through the week. I'm having visions of him in his pajamas. All these things, right? I'm carrying guilt. I'm, I'm carrying all these bad things and, and responsibility that I should have saved that child. So then I'm in the office, and, and long story short, I open up this Bible, and, and I'm like, Lord, I've got to speak. Worship's going on. I tried to pray all week. First off, I didn't feel like praying. I didn't feel like feeling God, but I couldn't feel God. There was this, this emotional separation that I had separated myself through this trauma. And, and, and then all of a sudden I opened up my word, and, and this, there's a verse here in, in Luke. We're going to be in Luke 4 here. There's a verse in, in verse 4 where all of a sudden it pops out of the page to me. And being a purist, but also coming from a traumatic experience, this thing came alive in me to know that I'm a man of truth and I'm a man that values truth. And then it became this revelation that I'm actually only supposed to be paying attention to truth. So let's start at verse 1 here, Luke 4, 1. Now, now actually, let me set the stage here. This is Jesus after the baptism from John the Baptist. One of my favorite stories of the Bible. So Jesus goes to John the Baptist. He says, hey, you're going to baptize me. I'll paraphrase up to leading to this point. And John says, no, I'm not even worthy of your sandal straps. I can't baptize you like Jesus. Like, if Jesus is telling you to do something, you should probably just do it. So Jesus wins. John baptizes him. The heavens open up. The dove comes down, rests on Jesus. And this is what the Father says about Jesus. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Now this is an identity message. This is a point in time where Jesus is getting baptized. 30 years of life for sonship to be about to be commissioned for three years of ministry on the earth. Sometimes we need to realize that it's the alignment that is actually more important than the assignment. When we know who we are and who we are, then all of a sudden what we do comes from out of who we are. It's not who we are that matters. It's, it's not what we do that matters. It's who we are that makes us do what we do that matters. It's who we are. So all of a sudden, now this is the Father saying, now Jesus hadn't Create, he hadn't done any miracles. He hadn't raised the dead. He hadn't let blind eyes see yet. He hadn't laid hands on, on deaf ears and had them hear yet. He hadn't preached a sermon on the mount. He hadn't gone to the cross yet. But here's the Father coming up out of baptism. The Father saying, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. For us performance people and for us type A personalities and us get it done people, all of a sudden this checks us. This checks us to say it doesn't matter what we're doing. It doesn't matter how many scriptures we're memorizing or how big we're growing our business or, or what we're doing. Like, what matters is we're his beloveds. Yeah. We're his beloved son and daughter. We can just be loved. We're his beloveds. So, so this is all of a sudden what's happening out now. I want to let you know the moment you believe in Jesus, you get saved. The moment you realize he believes in you, you get transformed. Yeah. So it comes to this place where, where now the Father is just... just just bragging about his son. This is my beloved son. I'm so proud of him. He hadn't done anything yet. But here he is just being a son. 
So then we move, and I want to let you know that the moment you realize that God believes in you, and you get this identity piece of a son or a daughter, now don't think for a second that the enemy's not going to come and try to question your identity. Don't think for a second he's not going to try to come and deceive you, distract you, or lead you outside into a stolen identity of who you're not predestined to be. My God. If you think about Adam and Eve, they were put in this paradise, they were put in this garden, and all of a sudden they're living, they're trusting the Lord, they're having intimacy with the Lord, and what happens? The enemy comes, tries to deceive them, asks them questions, well, won't he still love you? Well, you know, just, just a little fruit. If he, if he says to me, he says, he, you know, he's going through this, this thing in the garden, so then we get here. And this is the enemy testing and tempting Jesus after the Father just spoke an identity over his heart and life. It says this, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when the end ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, and sometimes, I'll be honest with you, let me, let me just, in, in my life, in what I've realized, let me hydrate for this one. I've noticed that in my strongest spiritual walks, it's really hard for the enemy to weave in and tempt. Jesus had just fasted for 40 days. He was hungry. He was vulnerable. He was honestly, in, a, in, in, in one sense, in a place of weakness. And the enemy moves in. And, and here's what it says. It says, And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, the very first thing that happens after God the Father is saying, This is my beloved Son, of whom I'm well pleased. Now here's the enemy saying, well, if you are the Son of God, questioning his identity. If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him saying, it is written. This is what popped out to me in my story. This is what popped out, this verse, this, this moment right here. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Listen, that, that's the truth. The truth is, man, you know, it is written. First off, we know that the Bible, mine's right here, the Bible is the context for our lives. It's the portrayal of the life of Jesus, the life of God. It's not just a book for rules and regulations and memorization. It's the living God coming manifested into words to come to life. That is the real, authentic, infallible word of God. It's absolute truth. So it is written... And God's saying that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So I read this, this scripture a couple years ago. I'm in my office, and I'm like, oh, what am I going to preach? Worship's going on. I've got to preach in 15 minutes. I open it up to this scripture. It just pops out. And all of a sudden, what I realized is I blamed myself all week. I carried guilt all week. I had, I had punished myself all week, saying it's my fault. I should have saved that child. And all of a sudden, I get this glimpse and, 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 and mind you, my gear was ripped in that fire. My face piece had melted. I had gotten burned. I had slightly got pulled out. So, so here's, here's what happened. I flashed back in that moment, reading that one scripture, to sitting at that front door after they pulled everybody out, and it was a defensive fire. And I remember spraying water. And I remember, and I forgot this through the trauma, but on that most Sunday morning to come preach, this is what the Lord reminds me of. And I see the vision of myself. And remember that after I'd been pulled out, we couldn't save that child. I was in my mask, weeping and crying out, God, you're good. Over and over and over. I can't understand this. I don't know why this happened. I don't know why we couldn't get to that child. I don't know why. I don't know what happened in this circumstance. God, you're good. God, you're good. I can't explain this, but God, you're good. 
Let me just be, remind you that through your trials, through your circumstances, through the things that you fought for, and they still didn't turn out the way you wanted them to, that God's still good. Even in a marriage that may not have worked out, God's still good. Even in a child that got sick and may have passed away, God's still good. Even in the financial situation you might be in or, or whatever, I mean, God's still good. Even in your family that may not be serving God, God's still good. Even if you have a child that's an addict or doing things he shouldn't do, God is still good. Even if work isn't the way it should be, or my career, or my path, or my future, or whatever isn't the way I plan for it, God is still good. That's the truth. And let me just remind you that when you have the truth that God accepts you, it doesn't matter who or what rejects you, because he's still good. Yeah. Let me read on. Then the devil, taking him up on the high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you in their glory, for this has been delivered to me. And I give to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. Everybody yell that out. Get behind me, Satan. Get back, Jack. Go back to hell where you belong. For it is written, again, God is Jesus continually reminding the enemy of the truth. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves. Maybe Jesus is saying this to the enemy, but he's even convincing himself. Like, it's written, this is truth. When he's saying it is written, it's meaning, this is truth. And it says, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and the enemy said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. Now the enemy starts to quote and reference scripture. He starts to reference. Listen, don't think for a second that sometimes the enemy weaves through our thoughts and our minds is really deceptive and sometimes pretty crappy. I don't want to give him any more credit than he's due. But we have to realize this in an offensive fight because our fight is an offensive fight because we always win. But sometimes I need to know the opponent's defense strategy so I can be offensive. So he says, this shall give to his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up unless you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said this, it has been said. So now it's, it's what the God says, it's what's written, and it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Now then it says this, verse 14, then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught their synagogue, being glorified by all. Listen, this is the framework. This is the groundwork to say it's our identity, how we see ourselves, how we see others, how we see God. Then all of a sudden, when temptation comes, when distractions come, when discord comes, when these lies start to try to infiltrate our hearts and our minds, like Nicole was talking about, that 18th journey, all of a sudden, we know the truth. We know who we are. We know whose we are. We know who God is. Nothing else matters. So then there's this pivotal moment in Jesus. Not only now does he have identity, he's resisted the temptation of the enemy so that he can be commissioned for his assignment. He's got the alignment for the assignment. And today I really want to talk about discord and division and the lies and the tactics of the enemy so that we can be proactive in our speech, in our nature, in our heart. Let me just be honest with you. The, the Bible says in, in a couple of different places, and, and James is talking about, although a small member of your body, your tongue can create a forest fire. It says, meant for good speech, a, a small member, it can create, a tiny spark can create a forest fire. 
And if you know anything about forest fires, sometimes they're very devastating. Sometimes like in Redding or in Napa a year ago, we saw where they can be very devastating. They can be deadly. They kill a lot of firefighters. The most dangerous job in the world outside of a fire pilot during wartime is a forest firefighter. They, they rapidly move and conditions change and they can be very devastating. But at the same time, around here especially, we'll have intentional forest fires set to cleanse the land so it can rebirth new, new, new growth. And sometimes they're called controlled burns. And let me just say the context of the scripture, and then again, Proverbs is confirming, it says your words are either life or death. They either bring life or they bring death. So your tongue, although a small number of your body, can create a force fire either for good or for bad. There's really no neutral. They're either edifying, uplifting, and encouraging, and building up, or they're tearing down. Let me, let me move on here. And this is where I call it to hell with the lies. John 16, 13 says this. It says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide into the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. Listen, I choose not to listen to anybody who hasn't experienced with God, full in his heart, what he's telling you to believe or not believe. But let me get more specific. There's, there's one guy out there that wrote, wrote a book called Strange Fire. He has a ministry, a very large Baptist ministry, that is specifically against the signs, the wonders, and the movement of the Holy Spirit in the charismatic world. Now, let me just be really honest with you. I think it's a waste of time for me to build a ministry to confront other ministries that preach from the same Bible and love the same God. We may not all see eye to eye on some of the details. We may not all see eye to eye on some of the doctrines and how often we do communion, what language we use when we baptize, and, and blah, 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 blah. But let me be honest with you. Why don't we focus our ministries on the lost who don't even yet know Jesus? I refuse to listen to a man to speak against the signs, wonders, or the manifestations of God who's never experienced them. I refuse to listen to somebody talk about somebody else when they really, truly don't know the nature and the character and the heart of that person. I truly refuse to, 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 to not listen to the media when they all, all the facts are out on the table. Like, the truth is, when the spirit of truth comes, he'll only reveal the truth. Amen. So when I know God accepts me, it doesn't matter who rejects me. When I know God is the solution, really the problem's kind of minute. Come on. Jesus is the solution to Springfield. I don't need to know the data. I personally don't need to know the data of their violence. I don't need to know their crime statistics. I don't need to know. I know what's going on. Simple enough. I know what's going on, and I know Jesus is the greatest solution. Yeah. I know addiction's going on. I know heroin overdoses are going on. I was, I was in the front lines. I was in the trenches taking, you know, helping and assisting with that. All I know is, through my experience, even as a firefighter, Jesus is the greatest solution. Jesus is the greatest solution to the trillions of dollars of debt in our country. Jesus is the solution to abortion. Jesus is the solution to our moral differences in this nation right now. It's not a politician. It's not a party. Jesus is the greatest solution. When the spirit of truth comes, he only brings truth. Let me carry on here. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says this. There are six things that the Lord hates. Yes, seven that he hates. You ever read that thing? That's kind of confusing. Am I the only one? Is it six or seven, Lord? I can't. It's rhetorical. I researched it over the last couple weeks. 
and it's left open-ended to say it's not just these six, it's not just these seven, there's a dot, dot, dot after it saying there might be eight, nine, ten, twelve, twenty. There's things that the Lord doesn't agree with. But you list a few here. Verse 17. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. <laughs> Don't even get me started online. Well, get me started online. <laughs> Let me just be honest with you. Whether you stretch the truth to make your story a little better, whether you stretch the truth to make you look better, or whether you stretch the truth to just leave out details to turn somebody against the situation or somebody else, or, or you're a victim mentality and you just need to be glorified a little more, or whether you just leave out truths, or whether you just outright lie and say, say, they're a liar. Say, say, they're a liar. I tell my daughters, you know, kids, we, we as people learn to lie at very young ages. Most often, the nature and the root of our lying comes out of an avoidance of wanting not to be disciplined or get in trouble. That's the easiest lie, okay? So you can look at, we've had daughters, and, and, and one of them was really young, and one of them, was, she's really good at lying. She'd be two years old. And there'd be cookie crumbs and chocolate chips melted all around her mouth. Like, did you eat that cookie? No. Did you eat that cookie? No. Girl, you got cookie crumbs. You got evidence. I'm the detective, but you got evidence all around here. It's all in your teeth. You ate the cookie. You were in trouble for eating the cookie, but now you're in trouble for lying. Right. Like a lie is a lie is a lie is a lie. We can stretch it, we can manipulate it, we can turn it, but it's a lie. Yeah. And, and so I tell them, I said, listen, you hurt my heart when you lie, and and, and you're a thief. You're a thief. I don't like thieves because you stole the truth that makes you a liar and you're a thief. That's what I tell them. When we lie, we steal the truth and it makes us thieves. So God doesn't like it either. The hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to the run to evil, and 19, a false witness who breathes out lies, in the second part of this, and one who sows discord. This word, translated from Hebrew and Greek, means strife and contention. Strife and contention among brothers. Mm. Let me clarify and, and, and say what, what discord is. Discord is actually more in the Bible than gospel. It's mentioned numerous more times than gospel is. Actually, most often, discord is used in the context of gossip because discord, and we tend to say gossip is a lie. You know, it's because they're spreading lies. No, discord actually can be absolute truths about somebody, but when you're turning somebody to strike or look at somebody different in any negative way, you've shown discord. Amen. Anytime we even entertain that, now we're part of showing discord. I used a, a funny example earlier, and, uh, and I'll just use that same example. Michael comes in this morning, Michael Lamb, and I was like, hey, you growing your hair back out? Your hair's long. No, man, I just need a haircut. I was like, oh, okay, cool. So that's, that's the truth. That's the conversation I had. Now, if I go to Micah and I say, man, do you see Michael's long hair? It looks messy. It's like, man, it's so long, you can't even do anything with it. You know, I kind of sound like a chick right now, but it's okay. It's all right. I'm wearing red. I have $4. Pink shoes. It's cool. Anyway, the truth was, Michael has long hair, he needs a haircut, he realizes it. But now I turn Micah, even as simple and truthful as it was, 
I've turned into a negative, he's looking at Mike at Michael now with just negative eyes. Oh yeah, it's the wrong hair, it looks kind of nappy. You know? That, it's a negative thing. That's discord. Discord just doesn't stand. Do you see his hair? It's like you rolled out of bed. He doesn't care about himself anymore. That's the next level that we would typically call gossip. But the truth of it was, I positioned something, a story, a situation, a person against something else, whether it's for my gain or just simply I don't like Michael or whatever. I don't know some of the roots of that. That's discord. And the Bible literally says God hates it. Let, let, let me move on here. Isaiah 53 1 says this. There's a song that we used to sing. Whose report shall you we believe? We shall believe the report of the Lord. Anybody grew up in churches like gospel and choirs? So we have the lead singer be like, Whose report shall we believe? And the choir. We shall believe the report of the Lord. Are you with me? Yeah. It came from this verse. And it says, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It's like, we need to believe only the report of Jesus. We need to believe only the report of how God is seeing Michael and his long hair and his beautiful locks that he doesn't yet have a receding hairline like me. Like, that's the goodness about us being who we are is we get to just love people the way God's created them. And guess what? We're going to get to a place here. He needs to be the judge. We don't have to be. Amen. Isn't that such a relief? It's like, oh. Oh, God will actually judge and, and bring conviction? He'll really do that? Yes. And he does it so much better than we do it. And when he does it, guess what? Our, blood, our hands don't have blood on them, and we can just love. And we get to love the process. And we get to love the hell right out of those people that are being changed and transformed in the nature of Jesus by his conviction. But let me move on here. Let me just remind you of this. The enemy, his goal is always division, discord, and distraction. But God's goal is always unity, connection, and covenant. When we begin to, to listen to people, or, or, you know, a good example to check your heart and check your negativity meter and your discord and gossip meter is how do you talk about church when you leave or you drive home? Okay? Let me, let me just, there's two perspectives. When they're going to take the promised land, Joshua had 12 spies go in to check it out. Caleb was one of them. So, so these 12 spies go in. 10 come back. And it's like, oh, they're, they're too big. They're, they're, their army is too big. Their men are strong. And there's no way. They're, they're technologically more advanced than us. And they, they've got all the right weapons and all this stuff, right? But Caleb, I believe it's Jonathan, right? Caleb? Caleb? Joshua. Caleb and Joshua, sorry. Caleb and Joshua, get my days mixed up. They, they come back, right? And here's what happens. They're like, no, this is a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at the, and I remember like reading in the comments, look at the size of the grapes and it's all the can do versus the tin can't do. Mm -hmm. so, so here's this, this, these two perceptions going on. It's like, are we looking at this situation, this person of a can do through heaven's eyes? Or are we looking at them through the tin spice of the can't do? And let me just say, in life, I look at that glass as so half full, there's so much more to be poured out. Some of us might look at the, that glass as half empty. I just need more. Just me, 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 me. Listen, God is so good, and He's an optimist. A chapter in my book of my is God is an optimist. He's not concerned about the problems, He's not concerned about the issues. His grace is sufficient, it says, for all needs. Let, let me move on here. Okay, so James 4 11 says this. 
Here's an instruction, alright? And then, then we'll get to where we're headed. More or less says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Again, isn't it amazing that we don't have to be judges? The Bible says there's actually only room for one judge, and it's God. He's really good at it. The Bible says he's loving and just. His judgment oftentimes looks a little different than what you and I think it should, what it could be. You know, he takes a person who's caught in adultery, loves on them, brushes off the dirt, digs in her dirt, sends her off, and just says, go sin no more. He sits next to a person at the well who was a, who was a harlot and who had been married several times and who was an outcast and actually considered dirty in the, the land. And he sits next to her. He's like, I know your past. I know your history. I know your husband. And he just loves on her. Has a conversation with her. Makes time for her. Sometimes his, his justice looks a little different than what we think. You should have stoned that woman caught in adultery. This is what all the Pharisees are saying. And then he turns to them and looks. He's like, he who's without sin cast or throw the first stone. Many of us, we're, we're throwing these stones of discord. We're, we're, we're entertaining it. When we leave church here, our conversations are more like, man, that music was so loud. Or, they don't even sing in a key that I can sing Man, they sang that one song for seven minutes straight. <laughs> and then a guy doing stuff in the back didn't even have the right words on the screen. I didn't even know what to sing. This poor words weren't even up there. They're singing these songs. I haven't been in that church that long, and I don't know these songs. They all aren't really, but the strings not even right. <laughs> or Aaron preached for 42 minutes today. He said he was going to preach for 35. <laughs> or I was saying, man, wasn't worship powerful? It may not be your favorite songs. It may not be the songs you grew up in your hymns at church. There's a special place for those. And there's a thing called iTunes. For you, in your car, <laughs> or you at your desk, or you in your home. Like, we may hit them here over time, we may not. This is a place where we can come together and root each other on and champion each other and actually be each other's cheerleaders. This should be the safest place. A couple weeks ago, I preached that this is the happiest, should be the happiest place on earth, not Disney. This should be the safest place on earth where you can come in and be you. When you can come in and you're not worried about what you're wearing. Now, last, last week, a little bit of a rabbit trail. I got an extra two minutes to do this. Nicole, with her eyes, just gave me permission for this. So, last week, we had the guests in. We had an amazing time at Mark Owens last, last Sunday night. And if you made it, it was powerful. It was incredible. If you didn't, you missed out. But God's still good. He'll still overwhelm you with his presence and his power. So, so anyway, we're, we're, I'm taking the, the team, I take them all to coffee at the coffee shop before we come here at 4 o'clock. And uh, so I'm, I'm coming, and a guy that was with them, I, we, we had him over after church for a barbecue. I was like, sorry guys, I got the luxury to do this, but I'm burning up hot. I'm changing into some shorts and a t-shirt. Hope I don't offend you. So they're like, oh, it's good. So I go get my shorts and t-shirt on, my cut-off shorts, my flip-flops, my t-shirt, I grill and hamburgers and hot dogs. Then we go to coffee. Fast forward two hours, we're going to get coffee. And the dude's like, are you going back home for anything? I was like, not planning on it. And the one guy, he's like, Lord, aren't you going to, like, change? And I was like, nope. It's like, I'm not competing with anybody. I'm pretty confident in who I am. I'm good. 
So then we're sitting here, I come with my cut-off jeans, my t-shirt, my flip-flops. I wasn't preaching. I honored the platform, and I honor God's place in the house of worship. When I preach, I, I prefer to wear jeans. I wasn't preaching. I was doing intros and announcements. Shorts for me, baby, it was 95 degrees. <laughs> so then, Steve, uh, Steve Wiss speaking, the, the pastor of Bethel Cleveland, he's speaking. He's like, and when you're confident, you know yourself, you can even wear short pants. Okay? God woke me up with this funny thought this morning. Okay? 
if out of, bell, out of, out of our belly shall flow rivers of living water, we actually may want to have that filter through our heart to speak edifying life words. Otherwise, it might come out the other end and smell kind of stinky. If out of our belly shall flow rivers of living water, maybe that could look like flowing through a heart that's filtered through Jesus, coming out that's life-giving so that it doesn't stink from the other end. Life or death. This is, like, literally, it's a life or death matter. It could gossip, discord can destroy church. It can destroy revival. It can destroy movements. It can destroy so many things. And if we can get this thing and actually do a culture of honor where we're confronting each other in a healthy way, and we're trying to pull out the gold, and we're only seeing the gold, and speaking the gold, and speaking life, and saying life. Listen, even Jesus says, I only say what I hear my Father saying. Then why are we saying something different? Why are we saying something different about that person at work? Why are we saying something different about that situation? Why are we saying something different about that finance if God's seeing it from a hope perspective? If God's seeing it with faith, then why am I seeing it from desperation and fear? Same thing. People, circumstances, issues. It's, it's like, it's this thing. Stand with me. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go, as a church, on a 21-day Discord, gossip, and negativity fast. And that about the funnest fast you've ever heard of. So, but listen, I'm going to challenge you not just speaking it, but even hearing it. And how you navigate that through love. Okay? Now, don't just like somebody calls you up like, can you believe it, Ernest? We ain't took the shoes off. Man, it's so weird today. You're an idiot! <laughs> okay, that's not God. Okay? Maybe it could look like this. Yeah, I kind of liked it though. I liked it. It was exciting. And I remember what he was talking about now. Yeah, it could look like that. It's a polite, loving, caring, kinder version. It's kind of like my brother and I. You get the Matt version or you get the Aaron version. My brother, it's like, he has no filter here. It's like, get it done. If you've ever been here on a work day, it's like, get it done, Matt. It's like, oh, Matt, like, be nice. Like the hardest worker we have in the church, but just be nice. We always joke around. He says, well, I was fired from being a counselor. The only counseling session I had, they left the church. <laughs> so we have this funny thing. He's not allowed to counsel anybody. <laughs> so anyway, we love you so much. But let's go on this journey together where we give life, we hear life, we receive life, we see life. We see positivity. We see people truly how God created them to be. How amazing is it that we get to look from heaven's perspectives and only see the good and let God work out the bad. Amen. All right, so put your hand on your mouth and your heart, since it's going to flow from your heart and not your rear end. It's just hot air. Okay, I'm going to cover my mouth and talk about flashlights for a second. My wife... Her grandpa used to say, better, better, better out than in, there's more room on the outside than the inside. <laughs> Listen, everybody does it, it's okay if we talk about it in church. Back on your <laughs> Alright, Lord, we just ask that our hearts will be full of your joy, your goodness, your love. God, we pray for our mouths right now to be edifying, comforting, and uplifting. Just like you said, prophecy is supposed to be not, not problem-focused, but solution-focused. We encourage, we uplift, we strengthen your body, your people, your situations, God. Let us see things the way you're seeing them. Let us speak the way you're speaking. God, let us have your heart. Let us have your heart for people, 
for circumstances for the nations. Let us have your heart. Let us be troubled when there's chaos and division and turmoil. Let us be challenged to pray and bless people more, God. God, for these next 21 days, let our heart be a great filter. Let our minds just, just be silenced in the way of negativity, discord, gossip, and death. And God, let, let your spirit flow, the spirit of truth. Let us live in the realm of the spirit of truth. Yeah. For what your word says matters, for it is written. Yeah. For it is written. Yeah. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.